Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the GRFC podcast where we give you a sneak behind the curtain of what happened behind the scenes in the Fire Pro Wrestling E-Fed. I am, of course, your host, the goth rock star, Zach Roper, and I'm joined not only by the owner of GRFC Dead Shadow, but also a couple of special guests here with us. Uh, how are you guys doing today? You can fuck off. <laughs> well, that's that's not nice. nice. <laughs> oh, oh, so one person, my fault. <clears throat> uh, you know me. Um, this is your Demon Slayer, Mar Rivers, your um, your only <laughs> Monday Night Mask World Champion and Top Tier Tuesday Heavyweight Champion. Woo! There you go. Yeah. Quite an accolade. Yup. Hall of Famer here. And we never even made a Hall of Fame. Oh, uh, just because, yeah. <laughs> well, we you did think do a we Hall. had the budget? Peacock didn't care enough. Well, Tuesday already inducted <laughs> someone to the Hall of Fame if we were going to do one. <laughs> yeah, if, but Wally Rogan took a lot of that budget for his uh, promotions. Oh. oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that's for true. Uh, how, what about you, Sharp? How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm Sharp, the Monday Night Massacre general manager, head booker, since no one's here to dispute that, and the voice <laughs> of Monday Night Massacre play-by-play commentary. All right, sweet. Well, uh, we got a pretty <laughs> stacked set right here as far as uh, this goes, and this will be our very first episode where we do a lot of introductions. Uh, we're going to talk about our mindsets, uh, mostly for the general managers, about like uh how we decided to do the draft uh what our idea for the brand was and uh we're gonna pretty much talk about everything that led up to grfc homecoming and we might uh talk about the pair of you probably that's where i'm hoping to at least get to because i want these podcasts to be at least two to three hours long and i feel like that should give us enough time to uh make that deadline so with that being said uh We'll get the introductions started as I spin the wheel. Or I guess uh, we'll talk about uh, how we got into Fire Pro and how specifically we got into GRFC. And we're going to start, of course, with Mar. Oh, fuck, you knew it. <laughs> yeah, you're first. Yeah. The wheel has chosen you, my friend. The magic yeah. on shell is spoken. All right, all right, all right, guys. All right, all right. It's my turn now. It's my turn. All right, give me that fucking mic. Anyways, um, well, um, you know me, I'm the Demon Slayer, the one and only Mar Rivers. Um, no, the only way I came to Fire Pro <laughs> that uh that um, you know, joined a company called ABC Mouse for reasons only. Yep, that's how we're gonna refer to them through this whole entire podcast. You know, it's only honestly just shame, man. You know. I had a good run so far in a couple months. Then I things happened. I left. Then um bought the game for myself and did some edits. You know, trying to have fun, just messing around, trying to see what's works, what's not. And then when I heard GRC uh, is forming, I'm like, you know what? Bet let me join. You know, yeah, I came in <laughs> within like what the first month. 
of GRC, I came the world champion and top tier Tuesday. Yep, and we'll talk about that on this episode. So yeah, it was a fun. It was fun. So that's how I found you know Fire Pro and other things. All right. Uh, well, uh, that's great. Next up is going to be actually the owner of the company himself, Dead. Oh boy, yeah, yeah, woo, yeah! Give him a hand. Hey, shut the hell up, you show bitch. <laughs> uh, let's see. Insert date here for whenever Fire Pro Returns came out, and that's how I found this piece of trash game. <laughs> that's Come quite on. true. Come yeah, on, I was in the same as the rest of you bums, and uh, I made this piece of trash product that we're on now. And uh, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we all hate it here, and none of us are paid. Peacock gives all the money to yeah. Wally Rogan, and uh, yeah, okay. you should come here and not get paid. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to say, or is that all? I don't know, Shen. All right. Well, I they guess don't train me for these. I guess it's my turn since the wheel picked me next. So. My story is a bit more complicated. Uh, I'm also someone who talks a lot, so just everyone at home listening, just get ready for me to ramble on. Uh, so how I got into FirePro itself was uh, I saw uh, Sam Pulse's video on uh, FirePro where he was uh, playing it, and I'm like, huh, that looks cool. Uh, let me buy it. At this point, I had a really piece of shit school computer I was using and uh, I didn't have a lot of storage on there to use but thankfully Fire Pro is such a shitty game where it doesn't need a lot of storage <laughs> so I got that and I also got the PS4 version so the PS4 version is more important on my trajectory and how I got here because that version got me uh, more eyes or more attention on me because uh on the PS4 version, I was doing promoter mode, and I created this company called VRW, which stood for Very Real Wrestling, and it was supposed to be very ironic. This was uh, something I had done for uh, a lot of SmackDown vs. Raw games and stuff, and I was like, it's going to be a promotion where it has this name, but a bunch of the wrestlers are just uh, characters from TV shows, animes, things like that, and I'm like the only real person in it, or... A couple of other people are real people. So, uh, I started doing this promotion, VRW. I would stream it live on YouTube. So, if you actually go on my YouTube channel, you can find it. Hey, look at you plugging yourself. Hey, you could do it too. Uh, but then, uh, I believe Shooter Man was the guy who hit me up because I had uh, kind of followed him and watched some of his streams on Twitch and stuff like that. And I was like, hey... Just to let you know, uh, this company or this promotion is using your character. I'm like, oh, sweet. Let me check them out. So I hit the guy up who owns the promotion. Uh, he tells me that he found my character to be very interesting. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, this is the first time I've ever had someone use my character. So obviously I got to like uh, join this and kind of, you know, see how this goes. So I'll have like creative freedom and stuff to do my character the way I want to. And uh, I did that for about a couple of years. I ended up becoming their world champion at the end of the year that I kind of debuted in. And 
the whole backstory of this, I spent a lot talking about on our friend Kano's podcast. So if you want to get the full picture of what happened, you can just listen to that podcast. But the short story is uh, me and the homies in the coven were being treated like children, even though we're fucking adults. And uh, the booking started to not make any sense. And the focus was on people that weren't a draw. And I was also just getting burnt out because of work and school. Because I was starting college and shit like that. And I'm like, I can't fucking do this anymore. I gotta dip. So after I dipped and I had my last match in that NABC mouse. Uh, Emo uh, hit me up. Emo boy. Who was part of the coven and who I consider to be a good friend. He hit me up and he said, hey, I'm bringing back my promotion OWA. And if you want to join it right after your last match at ABC, uh, I'd be, you know, that'd be, that'd be cool. I'd like that. And I'm like, yeah, dude, absolutely. I want to support you because I know you, you had my back throughout most of the bullshit. So I want to support you. And then not long after that, when I was planning my OWA debut, uh, this fucking asshole named <laughs> Dead Shadow hit me up and said, hey, I'm thinking of starting a promotion that's kind of like a a counter abc mouse promotion where a lot of the old guys from there or like the the former abc mouse people that dipped would kind of have a place to be and i'm like oh that sounds cool i'm in obviously i want to be a part of this because it's uh at the time it's like this sounds like it could be huge and i want to be like the kind of founders of it in a way so my intention at the time was I'm just going to be a wrestler. I'm going to bring my character. I'm going to bring Carmella. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'll be a wrestler. And then kind of quickly after we were brainstorming this, the stuff, Dead hit me up and he said, hey, uh, I have a spot open, like a GM spot open for Top Tier Tuesday. And I'm letting you know because I remember you told me that you wanted to uh, start your own promotion, uh, GSO, which was short for Graveyard Shift Organization. And he was like, hey, this would be uh, a good way for you to get practice in. And I'm like, well, this would be something new for me to try. So, yeah, I'll do it. I'm down. So I did the promo. And then everything kind of uh, snowballed after that very quickly. So... That's kind of my story and how I was contacted into being in GRFC. And after that, we'll kind of get into a little bit later. But uh, that just leaves one man left. The uh, the Monday perspective. Sharp. All right. I can speak to uh, both me and um, my partner who will, fingers crossed, be joining us on um, later episodes. Something yeah, there was a bit of scheduling today. issues with him yes. today. Imagine you're thinking if he's famous enough to skip out. Yeah, we, it really went to his head, everything. <laughs> but, um, basically, our story is, because our story is so intertwined, and I think anyone who kind of came up with us or saw us as we came up um, knows how intertwined our story was. So basically, um, just one day we were hit up with someone, and they were like, yo, do you know what fire pro was and i was like yeah yeah and he was like so there's this efed abc mouse and um you can you know make your guy you can contact our boy dead shadow and he can hook you up and sean and i kind of looked at each other and we were like you know do we want to do this 
answer was, yeah, let's have a bit of fun. Let's venture out. And so we did do it and we kind of brainstormed together. And the idea was always that, you know, we were in it together and we were going to be partners, which if you know who we play, the Black Arts, Brooklyn Thompson, Mai Hapon, you know, we're day ones. And that really came through. So we joined um, T-Mouse and it was a tremendous run. Like I cannot speak with any ill will about it. I had a tremendous run. Everything worked, everything flowed. We built an entire division around ourselves. We kicked in the door and we were greeted very openly. It's like, all right, you know, you want to build something? We're going to let you build it. And then problems arise when that thing that we kicked in the door and built all by ourselves was taken away from us. And we were kind of exploited, misled. Differences arose and um, we were kind of broken up. And I kind of voiced my truth. You know, this was not, I was never consulted about this. This was not something that was planned. This was something that happened completely without my knowledge or my and consent. It's, it's funny because uh, we were in a kind of a, a voice chat while this is happening uh, before yeah, our we're eyes. we all doing a watch party. Yeah. So it kind of um, like caught us off guard when that happened. It was very, because we were all like, what? Because I think I, this is two years plus ago, so I don't remember the full story, but I think y'all were like, hey, uh, you know, show sharp, you see this? And we were like, what, what? You know, because we were so shocked. We were flabbergasted because this was not ran by us at all in the slightest. And so I spoke my truth. And then um, I kind of left um, the watch party because I was like, you know, I need a moment. Like, what is happening? Like, this is insane. And then later I, I get uh, hit up by... Um, somebody and they're like yo you're getting cursed out on air right now for speaking your truth and i was like yo what then y'all sent me the truth and i saw it and i was like oh my goodness this is crazy i'm not tolerating this disrespect so um i left abc mouse however um all differences aside i like to give credit where it's credits due and i'm not an ill will person i don't carry grudges um i did receive an apology I did neither did i I uh, didn't. No, I did receive an apology. Oh, you did? I was apologized to years later, but I received an apology, and um, I'm grateful for that, too, that um, they recognized that mistake and was like, yeah, I should have done that. I do appreciate that, even though it, you know, it did take a few years, but um, I received that. So after that, we left, and we were, like, the first ones. I was the first one. I kind of feel bad, though, because I kind of dragged out um, show with me, because we were so intertwined that when one of us left, like the other had to go. So I do kind of feel well, I mean, bad. that makes sense. Yeah. But also, we were always supposed to be together. So I leave, show comes with me, and we we're like the first to go. So we did kind of flutter around for a while until um, eventually received their gigs. I started writing for other EFEDs and um, kind of getting involved in the behind the scenes of other EFEDs. And then eventually GRFC, the idea of GFRC was manifested and show was like, you know, we've always been partners. We've done EFEDs together before. I think we should be co-GMs of Monday Night Massacre. And I was kind of like, mm, I have my gigs right now. You know, I'm not really looking for a new opportunity because I was uh, rooted 
in other projects and I didn't want to like disrupt the harmony of other projects. Eventually I was like, you know what, this is my day one. This is my boy. You know, let's have some fun together. And I, I joined GRFC and um, the rest is history. I joined as um, my Hopon, but not just my Hopon. I joined as Meredith Fox and show did not just join as Brooklyn Thompson. I also joined as Alexander King and the rest is history. All right. It's uh, I find it funny that years later, uh, they apologize to you. Meanwhile, me, he uh started harassing me, and I had to end up blocking him afterwards. I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah, and I reached out, and yeah, that didn't go well at fucking all. Well, yeah. I think a part of it is like ulterior motive, because I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm a bigger draw or I'm more valuable because. You know why oh, no, it was like, all Terry Mode. I already showed you before. He used you, like, only a few months ago. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying is, like, you're the GOAT, but how many women are there? You know what? He wanted that cornerstone back. Right. Because I was already the top heel of the company. He had that covered with me, but he needed uh, some really good female workers. Exactly. And, you know, as... As it's much, not easy to come higher in the fire pro community. Yeah, as as much as I would like to tout these skills of Carmel, let's let's admit it. She's more of like a kind of a hardcore kind of story kind of wrestler. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's not she's not a tech she's not really a technical wrestler, but that's kind of where you and Brooklyn kind of came in to play. Yeah, and I mean Brooklyn is the goat. Like when you look at the body of work, the accomplishments, like that's a valuable piece that it's, it was, it's stupid to lose. Right. So with all that being said, I guess we can move on. And this would just, I guess, be primarily focused between me, possibly dead and you, where we talk about our draft choices and kind of how we came about picking the people that we did. Yeah. So, the wheel Actually, picked... I guess the end, you forced me to pick. Yeah, the uh, the wheel picked me first, so I guess I'll just say uh, I'm fucking glad that the stream we did for the draft hasn't seen the light of day, because that was... You want to talk about Slapdash? That was the most Slapdash oh. stream we've ever done. It was like six hours. Yeah, yeah it was It was bad. It was, it was, People it was... were taking forever. So my perspective of it was, uh, I believe Dead Deal did the. Did you do a wheel picker? or Did you do another method to see who would go first? Or I, whatever. So I, I'm pretty sure I did a snake draft with that and had it already yeah. set up beforehand. Okay, so you pretty much told us, all right, the people that. Uh, so like for me, Zach and Carmela, they were already uh, on the brand because as GM or whatever, like they carried over. Yeah, yeah. So it's like everyone else was free gain, free reign. So when it was my turn, I was like, all right, let me grab Strawberry Suki. Because I feel like one of the most missed opportunities of ABC Mouse was not having Carmella and Strawberry Suki uh, teaming up and doing a program together. Because in my mind, I was like, it makes sense. They fit together. They had the same kind of aesthetic. They had the same vibe. She was such a huge part of Carmela's character that when, for whatever reason, ABC, like, released her, it left, like, a giant hole in Carmela's heart where 
uh, Brooklyn and Maya had to kind of pick the pieces, and that's where their relationship kind of came into play. So I was like, I got to draft her first. And I want, I kind of want to do it as a way to show them where it's like, if you had put these two together, they would have ran the fucking division. And I feel like with Top Tier Tuesday, that's exactly what happened with them. Everything else, everyone else, it was like, let me get as many big names as I can that I personally know and that I feel like could work. I could work a good program with them. I could do a storylines with them. After that, after I ran out of big names, I got into panic mode and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm just going to have to pick blindly. <laughs> so whenever it got to me, I would just have the list of people that dead sent us of everyone that was in the draft pool. I would just kind of scroll up and down rapidly and what, whoever my mouse landed on, I would pick. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I must have had insane luck because dead told me, he was like, yeah, you got a lot of main eventers. I'm like, oh, shit, cool. <laughs> so... It just—it was such a disastrous process for me that I kind of gave up after a while. And I was like, you know what, Dad? You fucking pick the rest of the people. And I pretty much, once George, my friend, was on board, who George is like one of the co-founders of the Coven, actually. It was uh, the idea between me and him to do that. But uh, once he was on board, I was like, all right, here's my last pick. But uh, yeah, so that's my story with the giraffes. And uh... What uh? What was yours, Sharp? So the story of the draft is that the idea for a number one pick, Tejano was always going to be the guy. Always, always, always. We knew we wanted to build around Tejano because we saw the quality of edit, the quality of character, and the work of role-playing that he puts in behind the scenes. And we knew that's who we were going to build massacre around and wow what a great decision that turned out to be true and um we took the royal flush to just pack everything we took la brujaha because we knew that you know my one stone left unturned from abc mouse was maya hapon versus la brujaha I knew I wanted to do it. And it took some time, but when it happened, it was wonderful. Kingdom of Aces, one main event. One match a year? It did one match a year. It was this brutal, like, 80-minute Texas death match. We had matches that we've... We've had Maya do moves that we've never seen before. Top rope codebreakers, sweet chin music. We had... I think the finish was La Brujaha, top rope tombstone through a table. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. It was match of the year. I think it's one of the best we've seen um, in GRFC. Greg Ward Jr., we don't talk about that. Brian Street is another, like, asterisk. Like, this was a pick that we wanted to make. It's very much like the Strawberry uh, Suki, that this was someone we went, like, what a missed opportunity. We're going to build the show around Brian Street 2. And I think that was another wonderful pick because the mileage that we got out of Brian Street versus Alexander King versus Meredith Fox joins the King's Court versus Mike Rivers versus his crown jewel run with Mikazuki. You know, like there was so much that we did with Brian Street. Uh, the strategy was also women heavy. We want to build a good women's division. 
and also as trade pieces because we noticed that a lot of the other shows weren't drafting women so we were like mm, y'all women's division ain't gonna be all that so let's draft even more women so we can it's, them off. it's funny yeah. because uh both your show and my show we definitely had like a good focus on like the women's division mm -hmm. the other two rest in peace <laughs> yeah we'll talk yeah, about why they didn't end up making it <laughs> i think vanessa price that's another asterisk of a pick oh my goodness you can't talk grfc without mentioning the name Vanessa Price. That, I, I, we, I like running my bets. I like saying that I'm the brain behind the operation. But Vanessa Price is a 100% showstopper O2 project. There was a match in ABC Mouse between Vanessa Price and Brooklyn Thompson. It was a Saturday night. And I remember watch farting that with show. And show was like, this woman, this edit, this woman, she has it. And so when we saw her on the name of edits for GRFC, we knew that we had this gem of a pick. And that was another one that absolutely came to fruition. Then I think later on, we get all the Asian heritage picks. Kenji Wabuchi, Wei Zhao, and Yao Zhaquan, Shira Matsumoto, um, and just all these other talents that really helped and supported Massacre. And I think that's why... Both shows that survived, survived because there was this strong foundation of talent from the draft. The deep picks, the people who, you know, are on that third tier, but my God, do they perform on this third tier. People like Johnny Rocket, people like Sun Piang, people like Wei Zhaoman, the five-star machine, people like Harley Sparks was so underrated in her time. People like the Lone Star Stable, who held it down at the beginning of Massacre. I think it was a really strong draft, and we really hit the ground running in the first few weeks. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's quite a bit they had going on there. Uh, so I guess for the next segment, uh, would you be able to have any thoughts on this debt, or is it just going to be me and uh, Sharp again with... Uh, Brand thinking. Uh, brand oh, I guess for brand thinking, it's just going to be me and Sharp. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so Giraffe's more just, I filled whatever holes were glaring. Gotcha. So, any other, I guess, any other comments you want to make about uh, what we said, Dead? Oh, not really. I mean, y'all covered that shit pretty well. Gotcha. Uh, there's one name in particular that I'm going to kind of save until we get to, I guess, this segment, which ironically enough, the wheel picked me. So this next segment is going to be about uh, our brand thinking, how we wanted to present our brand and our mindset on like what we wanted the show, the vibes rather to, to have. So for Top Tier Tuesday, my whole mantra was uh, a show uh, for the superstars by the superstars because my whole thing was my character had developed into a uh he went from being this kind of like uh asshole lying cheating kind of uh top heel character in abc mouse to now all right he has this responsibility to be a gm how is he going to handle this how is he going to do this in a way where he doesn't let his like personal gripes or biases or whatever influence his decisions, which over the course of months would kind of deteriorate 
Actually, I think it took like one pay per view where he, his mind kind of yeah. flipped, where it's like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to do whatever I want. And there's a, a crazy storyline I can't wait to talk to in the next, if we have time after this, uh, after the pay per view that I thought was just absolutely hilarious and didn't think it would take off as much as it did. But my whole thought was, all right, as a superstar myself, I want to give the people matches that they want to see and that I want to see. I want to see the best of the best, and I want to see like how far you're willing to go to get a spot on this show. Because I presented it as a very cutthroat kind of like, you know, the people that take advantage of opportunities and stuff are going to make it on the show. That would later devolve into like whoever has the best meme would get the higher spot, but that took months and months for it to get to that point. And for me, uh, as a as a GM or whatever, as a commentator, I guess I should say, I very much took the job super seriously at first. <laughs> this was something that did had to pull me aside after the first show and be like, hey, dude, you got to loosen up a little bit because I know you're a goofy guy. I know you have a great sense of humor and you're not letting it show when you're doing this, you got to loosen up a little bit and you got to have fun with it. And this was something where I only commentated during VRW and I very much took that seriously. But after Day kind of told me that, I'm like, all right, I'll lighten up a little bit. And that's where a bunch of these kind of goofy storylines kind of came to fruition. Uh, one of the storylines leading up to Homecoming being like, who murdered uh, Tony the Milkman's brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the very first storylines where I'm gonna where I was like, alright, I'm gonna do this and we're gonna see very quickly whether or not this is a good idea or if it's gonna be the nail in my fucking coffin. And uh the fact that Tuesday kind of survived, I guess, was a blessing where it's like, alright, people love the goofy shit, I'm gonna keep doing this. So it devolved into that. Uh one thing I guess I'll say as far as like my brand thinking is I'm already the top heel of the company. I needed to build a top baby face. And that's where the whole best of seven series between Mar and Jay Balmer came to play where it's like, all right, these are two top guys that can be top baby faces. One of these guys is going to end up facing me at the pay-per-view for the title to become the very first ever top tier with champion, who is it going to be? Because with Mar, I've just kind of we've kind of talked about this back and forth, where it's like, man, in ABC Mouse, it was primed for Mar and Zach to be one of the biggest pay per view matches for the title because this was at a point where I guess you can like jump in. Uh, after I say this more to kind of give your thoughts, but it's like one of the things where like he was such a rising star. He had just won. Uh, what title was it that you won in uh, ABC Mouse more? I think he uh, won like their equivalent uh, the of Atlantic, Continental. Was it the Atlantic Championship or something? I believe so. I think it was like one of the mid card belts, and it was yeah, it was the flame mid card. Uh, it was one. Of, yeah. So um, so for um, yeah. The Atlantic Championship, I believe, that I beat. Uh, I don't know who the. I was. I think I won it in an eight man battle royale or something. Yeah, or something like, I, th I think Prince Shu was the champ at the time. Yeah. 
my thoughts like in that ABC mouse, um I honestly thought I think we got robbed at one point. We didn't have the exact robot version Mar Rivers and that oh. that's I honestly Phil cannot let that go actually. Well, yeah. that was more because of when I was starting to make this, um, he noticed, and then anything that I had edited for anyone, like, if they had a title, they basically got stripped of it. Like, that all happened in one fell swoop in one of the pay-per-view nights. Like, literally, any single thing that had my name beside the edit, because I helped make it, it got lost of the championship. So I think that's why a lot of things didn't pan out and happen. Yeah. Yeah, it was such a classic, like, you know, rising star, about to be, like, one of the biggest babyface things, and it was something where if he had pulled the trigger, and you would have either beaten me or you would have had a good match, bam, that would have made you. you would have been, been a good rivalry. Yeah, it would have been, like, a good rivalry, because uh, in OWA, as we were kind of getting GRC off the ground... Yeah. We showed, and this very much influenced my decision on like wanting to have you win. I mean, it wasn't guaranteed, but it was like one of those things where I was like, I hope he fucking wins. I hope he makes it to the match. Uh, it was like one of those things where you could tell we had great chemistry with our uh, our creations, our wrestlers. Zach Roper and Mar Rivers wrestled such a distinct style where no matter what match they're in, it was essentially the two out of three falls match that definitely... Yeah. Uh, propelled it where it's like these guys can go out and no matter what type of match they do they're gonna fucking kill it so I was like yeah. alright this will be if I can get these two in a pay review and no matter who wins this is gonna make someone and this is what we're gonna pretty much build this show off of so that was very much my uh, thinking as a general manager was all that stuff so, yep. any other thoughts you have more on that? I guess, I guess I'll jump ahead a little bit. Uh, did you, did you know you're gonna win the title? Was there any? Did the thought ever cross your mind that you were gonna be the first ever top tier heavyweight champion? That well, to be honest, I really believe that I like more. I believe I will like became the first ever world champion. You're take back like OWA. That two or th two out of three fall. That's that promo was a boost for Mar to in a spotlight at that point. Yeah, because it showed you were a threat against me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mar really involved, like very pretty much involved to a wrestler. He used to be like a hot flying, you know, quick Al job type guy. Then he came more like a striker. Like strong style and shit, but um, I was very sad became the world champion, the first ever top tier heavyweight title. You know, it was a very great moment. I enjoyed it, man. Right. Uh, yeah. I guess I'll say before I go too deep into this, and I can pass it off to Sharp to kind of get his uh thoughts. Was uh, I'm very much let you know I had no idea who was gonna win I was like either way if I lose I can cut a promo because uh the thing that made me stand out especially in ABC was I could cut a good fucking promo my promos like made you like buy into the story I was doing made you 
believe I was a threat, but also was like, hey, this guy is a rising star. He's a threat to me. Uh, it's uh, It was one of those things where it's like, uh, this guy could win, and if he does, it'd be believable. But at the same time, if I did win, I could cut like a shit-eating grin kind of promo, being like, ah, yes, I, I'm the very best this company has, and this is very much my company. <laughs> you know, something like that. So either way, I was like, no matter what happens, if Mar wins, he's the first guy to ever beat me as in a uh, in a Texas Deathmatch because at this point I'd done I believe either two or three Texas Deathmatches and ABC. I was undefeated. That was part of the storyline. It's all right. It's like whoever wins the best uh, two out of three fall or uh, best uh, out of seven series. It's like they gotta face me in a match that I'm undefeated in, and that's pretty much my match now. So it was pretty much like building them up to have sympathy, but. You had such a dominant run that it's like, oh, this guy might actually beat Zach. So either way, I was like, this right. match is going to go great no matter what happens. So with all that being said, I believe I've stalled enough for you. Sharp, your thoughts. What was your brain thinking as a GM with both you and uh, Showstopper? Yeah, you didn't stall enough, kid. <laughs> See, now, Sharp here hasn't lit the dynamite, as the cool kids say, and, uh, and that's why he hasn't lit in the fuse. Yeah. See, he's still connecting. So you gotta stall and add a nice advertisement here of our good folks, the Ulu Army of the 11th Brigade Shari Company. Oh, Those guys Christ. really did a number to that Ashley chick, I tell you. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, There's our endorsement. Our army sucks. Yeah, have you lit the fuse yet, kid? Yeah, I see the mic moving. So, Sharf, what what was your thoughts with you and Showstopper as far as like uh, branding as a GM? So the brand and aesthetics of Massacre was something that was very, very important to us. So the entire idea, what we wanted to do is um, we wanted to kind of model, we wanted like a Lucha Underground feel. That was the idea. Like we wanted this kind of underground sleazy fight club. That's definitely why the characters of Alexander King and Mirdali Fox were what they were, because we wanted sleazy. We wanted, like, really underhanded. We wanted this cringy fight club feel. That was the original thought. And I think it kind of progressed into maybe a more, like, elegant fight club, if you will. I think Massacre definitely kind of turned into... Um, a Japanese ballroom? Something a Kind of a Japanese little imperial samurai moment, but um, the original idea was definitely Lucha Underground, Grungy Fight Club, corruption rampant, and we wanted to run on a few starting. I feel like you described Tuesday more than Monday. And those storylines were Brian Street, 
evolved, we evolved into something else. We definitely evolved into something that took itself more seriously, a little more refinedness. We definitely were a little more pretentious. Like we developed into something that felt more regal. We wanted something, we kind of like pivoted into something a little more high class, more regal, like a, a regal fight club, if you will. <laughs> Which I, I think we did achieve that eventually. Hey, William Regal does have Fight Club now, too. I guess since you mentioned the aesthetic, I guess yeah. my thoughts yeah. on mine is uh, I wanted it since I'm such a music guy and I go to lots of concerts, I was like, I want to make my show feel like a fucking rock concert. Like a big yeah. kind of stadium show. It felt so much like a rock concert. Yeah, so that was the vibe I was going for. So I'm glad that you kind of talked about your vibe because that's something that I completely forgot to mention on my end. But uh, anything anything else you want to talk about as far as uh, brand thinking as a co-GM? I'm sorry? But yeah, we definitely did that from the... Or I just say the product itself and where we ran with that early. But the early ideas was the Fight Club feel and then we had a few pivotal um storylines i love our tournaments so definitely with the recent tragedy at that time hana kimura memorial tournament was something that we desperately wanted to do to pull someone who who touched us all i i remember seeing her in madison square garden and just being so enthralled by this young charismatic um wrestler and just this wild attire, and I was like, you know, this is what wrestling is. She has it, and she has it so young into her career, and it's just such a tragedy um, what happened. So the Hanukkah Memorial Tournament was number one priority. It's something that we wanted to do someone who who touched us all, and I that tragedy hit me especially. It was one of those moments in my life where I remember every single detail when I received the news. It, it hit me that hard. I think it was the first time that I genuinely cried for like a celebrity's death. So that was important to us. Tejano was important to us. We wanted to give him the title because, you know, he was a rich billionaire gimmick and Yardley Fox and Alexander King were rich and obviously there was so much corruption happening between them and we really wanted to make that a storyline. So we handed Tejano X the Massacre Championship and I mean that was also a brilliant decision in hindsight because my goodness that was, there were maybe three to four iconic, maybe five, six, but there's kind of this Mount Olympus of iconic reigns in GRFC history Tejano X's Massacre Champion was that first reign. I very much agree with that. Uh, anything else? So that was kind of, that's where the vibes, and then we kind of Massacre, everything kind of happened organically, because if you remember watching early Massacre, it was chaotic. We had role players role playing. We had, um, Brian Street, just he never ran anything by. We were very much don't run bias, just do it, and we'll re we'll react. It was a very reactionary beginning. And Brian Street, he'd just be saying things, and Meredith Fox would come after him, and all of it was great. All the interferences that were not planned, that were not modded, gave us some of our most iconic moments. But 
it was definitely something that you had to tune in every single week because you miss one week and you're completely lost because Massacre ran that quickly. Every single moment there was something going on. And I think early Massacre was a shining example of just letting things happen and not really planning ahead, just being spontaneous and reactionary. Because so many of our best storylines happened because of that. Hell, our entire main event scene was we chose Sehana and everyone else kind of chose themselves. That's fair. Yeah. I, I can definitely see how you would come to that decision. So anything else you want to share before we... Uh, so for the next topic? The next topic? Yeah, this next part is just going to be everything that we, we can think of leading to GRC Homecoming. Well, just anything you can think of. Like, just general ideas or whatever. So we're going to kick this off with uh, Mar. Tell us everything that you can remember uh, leading up to GRC Homecoming. And uh, the peer view itself. Yeah, the very first peer view. Everything that you remember, and then the peer view itself. What you can talk about. Man, you know, I remember, like, the first ever, like, Homecoming. Well, the built-up to Homecoming. The first ever peer view. Honestly, when uh, we started on uh, Talk Terror Tuesday, I was in a, you know, a... You know, like a best, what best four out seven series with um Jay Bomber before his quote unquote brother. Yeah, yeah, it was very much you and Jay Bomber and the best uh four out seven series because I was very much inspired by the uh Seamus Cesaro thing. I was like, oh, that'd be cool to do. Yeah, then uh, well, Zach. Except they didn't become a tag team. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Zach Roper, you know, put himself in the top picture already, so... Hey, I was already... Yeah, that grub. <laughs> I was a top heel, so I figured no matter who faced me, they would get the rub. You know, then Burton was like, okay, this might be, you know, a chance that I could prove that I could be, like, you know, a main eventer or a world champion for a company. Then I won, what, four and one in a that's a four and a seven. Then, no yeah, means. I believe so. so you four know. one or four two. Yeah. Then Zach Yai came to ideals, you know, for promos, like, you know, certain matches I'm going to try to do. Yada, yada. Whoop, whoop. Cool. Then um, the build-up was actually, like, not that bad. It was pretty good, actually. The build-up for, you know, the first ever pay-per-view. Then, um, then I honestly, Zach, honestly, I was shocked when I took where Mark defeat Zach Roper undefeated streak in the um tested death match. Yeah, because I I think I only scored maybe one or two points, and you pretty much just stomped a mud hole. I in believe me. it, I think it was two to nine, the final score. Yeah, yeah. I can, I actually have the match card for the Tuesday side on me, so I can look. It was, uh, yeah, it was nine to two. Yeah, that, that's disgusting. That I even got that right. Yikes! Yeah, here. Yeah, Mark pretty much like okay. So I think I'm become as an underdog, you know, might as well just go all out at that point. All right. That was some... Well, shit. No, sorry. Go ahead. 
I thought you were I was, done. Oh well, I was about to be done. I'm like, basically, Mar pretty much like shown moves that he never pulled off before in that match as well. So, all right. Anything else you want to add before we move on to the next person? Oh no, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Uh, well, this will be interesting. What was your uh, thoughts on everything leading up to Homecoming Dead as the uh, as the owner? That arena was a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> uh, and I believe that was when uh, the GM was doing the bounce house special, so that was um, <laughs> something. Now, who could have possibly come up with that idea? Oh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, probably me, which <laughs> think makes me cringe internally. Ugh. Wait, was that the? Wait, was that already a Goffin's harem at that time? No, this was a lockdown when that happened. So that'll be next episode, I believe. Oh, okay. Unless, unless we have time, because we're only like fifty minutes in. Yeah, I I don't even really know much of what we had in Homecoming. I know we had a battle royal, and I believe Praise won the damn battle royal. We had uh the milk man and the fucking dirty dishes thing going on yeah so i'll talk a bit more about that when it's my turn uh any, so why did you come up with the name homecoming i guess i could ask uh that one was slapdash because avenger it, at least i think it was avenger who was making our logos at that time it was either him or herrings one of them um didn't have the logos at the time so i just kind of used a whatever ringing idea okay um, any, anything else you can think of about Homecoming or everything leading up to it? Uh, no, not really. I'm just kind of here. Alright, well, uh, Sharp, I guess it's your turn. Tell us everything you remember leading up to Homecoming, and then the actual show itself. Because I believe this was the first time that we did the whole joint show peer review, because it was, uh, Monday and Tuesday on night one, and then... Uh, Thursday yeah, and Friday night. It too. was the dual shows. So, tell us, I guess, everything you can uh, leading up to Homecoming and the show itself, Sharp. Sharp, did you die, Shen? Alright, well, I guess I'll go. Uh, oh, yeah, he, oh. he died. Uh, so All I right, guess... here's our stalling period. Uh, well, well, yeah. Shari Company did some crazy stuff, I tell you. And uh... <laughs> so, yeah, the wheel picked you. Uh, is there anything that you can uh, you want to discuss about leading up to Homecoming and the actual show itself? I'd like to establish a point that I did not make on um, the last topic about brands. I feel like I, I forgot the most pivotal part of the massacre brand okay well we can backtrack a little bit that's fine that was super shows i forgot to talk about super shows um <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah you draw me up a fucking wall eventually and the idea was back when there were four brands um in grfc you know early days we would do a pay-per-view and two shows would share the same pay-per-view card which meant that you only got five matches on pay-per-view. And Show and I were like, why should we waste our biggest matches 
on a show we're sharing with another brand. Like, isn't better for business if we put our biggest money matches on shows where it's only massacre, which means we're not giving other brands the exposure of putting our biggest draws with their biggest draws. I mean, everyone would watch both brands, which means we might lose viewership to other brands. We're like, we're smart businessmen. So we came up with super shows, which meant that um, we put our best matches on a show that was solely massacre. And then it kind of just became like, a big thing and it let us have more creative flexibility because we got to do things like purgatory of uh, kingdom of aces we got to do things like the hanukkah memorial tournament special where we had an all-women super show we had um an entire agent heritage super show and it gave us more creative flexibility so that's why we did it now going and talking about the actual lead up um to homecoming i think there are very oh, there's a lot of memorable moments like first of all you can't talk about massacre without talking about the first ever match in massacre history, Bullet versus Scarts Rowdy, and how good that was. It was a very good match, and um, I think we ran it on the one year anniversary, and we kind of just kept coming back to it. We had an amazing eight women tag team match between the Blackhearts, Vanessa Price, and Megan Von Horn with the Royal Flush, La Brujaha, and Akira Matsuda, which everyone was eliminated. There was only one woman standing, La Brujaha, by the end of that match. And it started the first Vanessa Price versus um, Brooklyn Thompson feud. That's right. On the first ever Super Show in Massacre, we had Brooklyn Thompson versus Vanessa Price, which is so full circle when you realize how that feud and that storyline between Vanessa Price and Brooklyn Thompson, how that was throughout all of Massacre. And it, it's really cool to see how it was from day one to the last day of Massacre. It was Brooklyn Thompson and Vanessa Price battling for control of the women's division. Of course, Brian Street was started in his crap. <laughs> that was fun. We had handicap match after handicap match. That was insane. Of course, if we're talking about early Massacre, we have to mention Tejano X versus Noah Thomas. The debut of um, Pedro Ward Jr. and one of I think what my one of my favorite moments in GRC history is the collective. Who the hell is that? When Pedro Ward Jr. Um, ran down to the ring during Noah Thomas. Yeah, one of the damn random interferences that the game will throw. But it was crazy because yeah. we were all losing our minds and. Tejano almost lost his title on week two of Massacre. And when you think of a uh, butterfly effect and all the different timelines, how crazy it would have been if Tejano was only a 14-day champion. That also started a tag team between Noah and Pedro that had a lot of mileage. It um, challenged Lone Star Sable when Lone Star Sable were the goats of tag team wrestling. Um, we had the Massacre tag team tournament, which um, Lone Star Sable kind of dominated. We had the um, Hanukkah Memorial Tournament, which actually led it led to um, the union or the partnership between Vanessa Price and Nina Armstrong, which again, that lasted till the end of Massacre, and it was such a pivotal, the first and only women's tag team champions in um, Monday Night Massacre were those two, and it was definitely great to see. We had Tejano, his height, I mean, that man was dropping bangers every single day day when he was um during those early days of master we had brian streak and crit and then forcing him to work again and, um coming up to homecoming we had um again we kind of like we we wanted to save all our big guns for the super show because uh, for the mentions uh for the reasons i mentioned before 
the one pivotal moment of the homecoming pay-per-view on the Monday Night Massacre side was the debut of Mike Rivers. He signed to Monday's very sought-after free agent. I think it was between us and Friday, and I mean, Mike made the right decision. And um, came to Monday's, defeated Jack Bronson, and I mean, Mike Rivers went to you know, top 10 wrestlers in Massacre history, climbing up, Massacre champion, Crown Jewel champion, held them both at the same time. Wonderful feuds with Brian Street, wonderful feuds with Kano, wonderful feuds alongside Mierda Lee Fox and going after Brian Street and um, Purgatories and just a lot of great moments with Mike Rivers. Um, the early massacre was chaotic, but it was a good chaotic. We also had that number one contenders match, which was the main event of Homecoming, wasn't it? Because we got the main event and we put on our six-man elimination match for the number one contendership to see who would challenge Tejano at um, the Super Show, which I always found really funny how we kind of just, like, randomly got the main event. I think it was, like, a wheel decide to. And our yeah, number probably. one contenders match headlined over the Texas death match between Ma Rivers and Zach Rupper. And that was always something where I was like, yeah, that was kind of crappy of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of crappy of us. And hell, if we could, um, I mean, we weren't going to relinquish that because that was kind of back when it was kind of everyone for themselves. So, I mean, we definitely took that main event, patted ourselves on the back and be like, this is so stupid. Well, um, to be fair, that was kind of the mindset we had to be because we were competing. We were, yeah. every show was competing there stay. were four. There were four. It was life or death. So, I mean, that's why super shows existed. And then it kind of just became a tradition after that. That's why we did crap like this. Like, it was everyone for themselves. Those were like, the days. So, I mean, we were, we were taking this main event no matter how stupid it was. And it was really stupid in hindsight. But it was <laughs> also mean, very important. The thing I was just going to say to kind of reiterate why we were so competitive was Dead pretty much told us, like, hey, we're going to have to windle this down to two shows. And in my mind, I was like, well, this show is probably not going to last a whole month. So if it, like, fizzles out and dies, I'm okay with it. So to hear that me, uh, my show on Mondays, or, or my show specifically made it through, I'm like, oh, wow, fucking really? <laughs> this show made it? But, uh, yeah, so we were very much cutthroat. And it wasn't until after lockdown where... We pretty much dead made the decision. It's like, all right, these two shows are the ones that are staying, and Thursday and Fridays are getting cut. Which, um, unfortunate. Um, one of those things that is a very necessary evil. I mean, you know, it sucks to put hard work in and then get the axe, but um, we don't have time for everything, and a decision was made, and you have to live with it. Um, we can't. You always have to live, and you just have to not harbor ill will and move on, which I think Thursday and Friday definitely did. Um, their GRFC t tenure wasn't over. I, I would argue that they went on to bigger and better things. Um, Noah and the Friday GM, I mean, with the odd couple on Monday and Friday five and one night stand, I think he definitely did get a lot of uh, mileage after his show was over. Takeout and Sezanov was a force to be reckoned with on Massacre. We don't talk about Matt Michaels. And um, going back to um, Homecoming, the important thing was, though, that the main event was a number one contenders match for um, Tejano X's Master Championship. And it was kind of that first 
main of the, it was kind of that first tier, like the first era of main eventers. Karts Rowdy, Noah Thomas, Pedro Ward Jr., Christian Chambers, Ichiro Matsuda, and Kenji Iwabuchi. And it's one of those things in hindsight, like Kenji Iwabuchi, you know, that was the night that made Kenji Iwabuchi. Because he goes on to Monday um, to face Tejano X, and they have a trilogy, and they fight in Japan, and they fight one more time, and they fight in a steel cage, and fingers and controversies and they had a good they had a rivalry that established the massacre heavyweight championship that established kenji iwabuchi as an upper mid-card main event talent which he would later on go to realize with reigns with the asian heritage but established kenji iwabuchi as that gritty underdog who was always so close and they established tehano x as a ruthless champion who was here to reign which by god did he do and um That was homecoming from Massacre. That was the um, that was homecoming from Massacre's perspective. Um, if you would allow me to talk about um, the Super Show, I'd be grateful because I feel like that was definitely in that first month era, especially for Massacre, since we did kind of do pay per views and Super Show. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I mean, uh, I'm pretty much saving myself for last anyways because i'll be like the final person the wheel has chosen of course but. uh so the massacre our first super show was called new arrival because you know welcome to grc we are the new efed and we're here you know it was definitely the homecoming it was the coming out party for monday night massacre and the grfc and it was a really important turning point um in that um in massacre because we kick it off with the semifinals of the massacre tag team tournament and we have uprising versus lone star stable which in retrospect that's that match is a main event match you know because seeing uprising and the lone star stable and the fact that lone star stable went on to be the first champions and went on to have the ring that they did i mean early days of massacre the lone star stable were untouchable Adriana Lopez becoming the first um, Massacre Women's Champion after, you know, the Leslie Flair controversy, which I think, did that also happen? Or was that, um, or was that homecoming that happened? No, it wasn't homecoming. It was not homecoming. It was uh, maybe the second, no, it was lockdown, I remember now. Uh, so we'll get into that maybe second episode. Yeah. Um, so we had Lone Star Sable over Uprising, kind of saying, you know, this is the era of dominance of the Lone Star Stable. And then we had Lucifer versus Yao Jaquan. That lasted, what, all of, like, two matches? Yeah. So we were told <laughs> Yao Jaquan was a jobber. And we, be we I mean, we never really Which, points-wise, he technically was. He was, like, the lowest edit points in Massacre. Yeah, like, wh whoever had made him at the time, um, they only gave him, like, 130 points. Like, I bummed him up a solid bit. But uh, he, he was still considered, like, well-went-tier. Yeah, so we were, like, asking him to Lucifer. Because the idea was, you know, Lucifer is going to be this, like, monster. And then Yao Shaquan beats the shit out of Lucifer. And we were <laughs> sitting there like, oh. And I think this is another beautiful example of the spawn of early massacre where Yao Jaquan just kind of showed up. He hit the parachute drop, which is like he like drop kicks you and that does like a standing inverse six thirty. Like I don't even know how to describe it, but like 
Yeah, Jaquan did that crap, and we were like, yo, who is this? And that definitely, like, the era of Yao Jaquan began at the new arrival, and it was like, you know, it was his moment. And then we had Brian Street, because, you know, he got to be on the card, because he was kind of that early massacre. He was that anti-hero Stone Cold star of the early ages. I, I really think Stone Cold's a good comparison, because, like, how many times did Stone Cold really hold the championship? Um, sometimes, but not really all that much. And that was Brian Street. You know, he never reached that top, but he was always the guy in storylines. And he was the draw. And he was the, pe- he was the person that people tuned in to be like, oh, what's Brian Street doing? What chaos is he causing? And how's Mary Fox and Alexander Kingdom respond to it? So we had to put him there. And then Brooklyn Thompson, Vanessa Price, the cornerstone of Massacre. And at the first Super Show in Massacre history... Vanessa Price pins Brooklyn Thompson and shocks the world. But nothing really came from it. She would go on to lose and lose. But Vanessa Price establishes herself kind of as this potential future threat. This isn't the fully evolved Vanessa Price that walks into Kingdom of Aces 1 and takes the women's title and then goes on to hold it for over a year. But we see those seeds of, okay, this woman acts, you know, she for real. We see that when she defeats Brooklyn Thompson. And it earns her her first of 50,000 moniker and nickname. She becomes the queen of the super shows on this. And then How many fucking her. nicknames did she end up having to begin with? I think she had 12 nicknames. She had like 10 nicknames. Dear God, ones. yeah. Someone was just pumping nicknames out at Peacock. And so uh, the queen of the super shows was her first, and that happened here tonight. And she would go on to, I think, wrestle at every single super show besides the Agent Heritage super show, because obviously. Um, then we had the Masquerade Ball for the title, which that was that established the Masquerade hierarchy. We had Dread and Bashir Matsumoto, like two, just two titans, two behemoths like a war like this is the Athenians versus the Spartans you know Dread and Bashir Matsumoto Bashir killed a guy and we referenced this every time Bashir came out we'd be like she once killed a guy she crits the guy and then like <laughs> running bonsai drops him like she Rikishi driver critted someone ran off the ropes and like butt splashed him and we were like oh my god Bashir you just killed a man then uh, Dread ends up winning, and Dread is another one of those, like, when we think of Reigns, Dread was kind of the guy, because he built stars, he was a star, he was the masquerade division. Um, Maya phone jobs out to Megan Von Horn. That sadly never went anywhere. That kind of, We kind of ran out of time on that one. Tag Team Championships, Lone Star become the first tag team champions, and they reign. Then, the first ever Asian Heritage Championship. Sun Piang, Shinsuke Gawa, Ten, and Barong. And this is when Barong becomes a meme. Hmm. And then an elimination match, he breaks up every pinfall and forces that match to go 45 minutes. But Shinsuke Igawa wins and becomes the face of the Asian, the new ace of the Asian Heritage Division. And Shinsuke Igawa definitely reigned as the ace of the Asian Heritage Division. He did incredible stuff in that division. As we get through the next few months, we kind of get through the feud that made the Asian Heritage Division, him and Yao Zhuquan. I mean, that was crazy. Then we get to the main event, Hano X's first meeting, Kenji Iwabuchi. And that was a moment. There was a lot of controversy that surrounded that match. 
I believe it. I don't fully remember, but there was like a run in or something like something controversial happened. Kenji Wabuchi was screwed somehow against Tejano X that set in motion a feud that would, as I said um, before, establish the massacre championship and establish the trajectories of Tejano X's massacre stint and Kenji Wabuchi's massacre stint. So it, this in hindsight, really did set the stage for Monday Night Massacre as a whole. Thank you. All right. Anything else you want to add before it's my turn? Go on. All right. Well, I guess before I talk about uh, leading up to Homecoming, I guess I should establish the titles that I had on the show at the time. Because I remember uh, Dead told both uh, me and the Massacre uh, GMs, it's like, all right, uh, let's make some titles, whatever ones you guys want, let's do it. So the first one that I ever did was the Femme Fatale title, because that was like the women's title in VRW, and I already had the title design and stuff ready to go. I just booted my game up, and I told Dead what to do, and there was that part was done. After that... The second one to be made was the top tier title, and it was simply because I have always loved the big gold title. That's like, as far as a belt design, that's always been my favorite belt, as far as look, aesthetic, what it means, because I kind of grew up, and I had watched some wrestling before this, but my earliest memories of watching wrestling was around the kind of mid-2000s to, like, afterwards, where... Edge had the World Heavyweight title. So it was Edge and Undertaker fighting for that belt, and I always loved how that title looked. So I did that, and then it was the mid-card title that was complete kind of like joke title where it's like, we're going to make this look like the ugliest piece of shit belt ever <laughs> just so that it'll inspire yeah, or... The or Saudi belt. Yeah, the Saudi belt uh, after the... Uh, it was designed to look like the... Uh, greatest Royal Rumble title or whatever. Because the idea of it was whoever won the title, it would motivate them to move on to winning the world title. It was kind of like a, hey, watch out for this person. They're a rising star kind of title. It was like a building block to get to that. And then after, uh, after that bout, it was the tag team titles. I was like, well, uh, gold plates with a uh, white strap looks pretty good because that was the color scheme of Top Tier Tuesday based off the logo was white and gold. So I'm like, all right, we'll do that. So the first show, the one thing that me and Monday agreed on was we wanted to pay tribute to Hannah Kimura. We both knew her. Uh, Monday knew of her, I guess, more than I did because I remember my first notion of her was I saw a picture of her on Twitter and I'm like, oh, she looks cute. She's kind of she had this kind of goth vibe or whatever going on at the time. I guess that was kind of when she was like first in her career or whatever. And it wasn't until she kind of exploded and she became more of a household name where I started to pay attention to her. And I was like, oh, she's got her whole life ahead of her. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And I feel like we both kind of came to the conclusion where it's like, look, we both got a really strong women's division. Let's kind of promote them while also paying respects to this uh, this woman that kind of paved the way for a lot of people and that a lot of people kind of looked up to. So as far as that went, 
I wanted to take the top women, which at the time was uh, Carmella Noctum, Violet Jet, uh, Bay Ruthless, which was uh, someone that Dead had shown me, and I was like, oh, they kind of have a brawler type move, said so that worked. And uh, Hollywood Hannah, which later just devolved into her being the daughter of the Miz and Maurice <laughs> because of how flashy she was in the ring. And besides that, on the first show, the biggest thing is to propel the pay-per-view uh, was the union of uh, Strawberry Suki and her old stablemates, Lucy and Chastity, which were a part of Emo, which I didn't know until I actually looked at the person who made the character. I was like, oh, cool. So they're already a team and I got them. How lucky am I for that? So I started doing the storyline where Carmella was doing a business relationship with Strawberry Suki to kind of join forces. Because at this point, the Coven was done. Most of the Coven guys were doing their own thing. Emo was kind of running a show. So it was pretty much just me George and Carmella that were like the main people of the coven and I I didn't feel like there was enough members to kind of make them a stable so at that point it's like alright oh and George too so it's like everyone kind of does their own thing and once we kind of establish our things that's when we'll kind of get people to kind of come in and revive the coven for like a special occasion or do something kind of close to that uh, so the storyline that was one of the big storylines was them. Uh, for the very first show, I wanted to make my appearance a big deal for uh, Zach Roper, where it's like, all right, I'm going to do an open challenge. And I reached out to Shooter Man because I'm like, there's no one else on the roster right now that has a high-profile rivalry with me than Shooter Man at the time. Because in ABC Mouse, we just faced each other all the time. I, he would beat me, I'd beat him. It was a classic kind of storyline of like who was the better guy. So I wanted him to open the an, uh, answer the open challenge. And thankfully, when I reached out to him, he said, "Yeah, that sounds good." So I did that, and then of course the best out of seven series, which I talked about with Mar, we covered that extensively. And then probably one of the, well, two more storylines. Probably well, first of all, I'll start with probably the. Uh, biggest storyline that made that put Top Tier Tuesday in the map. Who murdered Tony Milkman's brother? <laughs> <laughs> this was a complete like I was inspired by uh, Deadlock because uh, oh. during the uh, gimmick stuff that they were doing to start the shows, I, I I don't believe I don't remember if it was Johnny or if it was Pulse that was doing the whole and his brother died thing, but that was like all right that'd be such a goofy storyline. Let's see where it would go, because I was like, let me take Tony the Milkman, which I don't know a whole lot about, but he's like a milkman, so there's a character paste guy. And I'll take this fucking clown, Dirty Dishes, and I'll kind of do a program with them where he thinks that Dirty Dishes murdered his brother. At that point, I had no idea who I was going to have be the murderer until I saw uh, a match with... Uh, What's his name? The uh, the Jesus guy. What was his name, Dead? Praise. Praise. So I saw a match with him, and I ended up having him in a triple threat match where he was going to kind of serve as like, all right, he he's this like really churchy's guy. He should have like a really high morale. Whoever he pins is pretty much the murderer. 
I believe he pinned Dirty Dishes, so that uh, kind of was getting that teasing, like, oh, did he actually do it? And it wasn't until that match where I'm like, it'd be so crazy if Praise was the one that actually did it. And I pulled the trigger on that idea once I saw that and I thought about it. Uh, the other storyline was uh, this Fatal 4-Way match uh, between Prince Shu, uh, Mortius, Kevin Sanders, and George because I wanted to establish a deathmatch division uh, leading up to lockdown. That was a belt I hadn't done yet, and I remembered that George was getting primed for a deathmatch title match in uh, ABC before he pulled put the whole... Uh, kibosh on that, and I'm like, alright, well, fuck that, I'm gonna do it myself then. So I took these people that I knew were gonna be crazy in the deathmatch area, and it wasn't until Mortius kept going after George, and they were primarily focused on each other, where I was like, alright, I gotta put them in a match. In our pay-per-view, I gotta put them together, because I feel like they would have a really crazy match. And, uh, when I talk about it, uh, <laughs> they definitely did. So those were the main th takeaways from the first show, and uh, well, obviously the Hannah Kimura match, which uh, Bay Ruthless ended up winning the uh, the match because it was an elimination style, and it was going to crown the first ever Femme Fatale champion. And uh, Carmella was all primed to win it until Bay Ruthless won, and I'm like, all right. At this point, I'm kind of doing a rematch clause, but I don't want to like push it too hard, like WWE. So it's like you only get a certain amount of rematch losses, and after that, if you blow it, you gotta earn it back again. So uh Carmella Noctum was already gonna earn a title shot, but I wanted to kinda put someone else in that was gonna be like a more of a storyline rivalry. And that's kinda where Hollywood Hannah came into play for that match. So now that I've kind of set up the stage, I can talk about uh homecoming itself. So when Dead told me about Homecoming, the main thing I wanted to establish to separate me from Monday was I wanted to have pay-per-view themes. That's something I've always loved about wrestling, especially WWE at the time, was they always had just amazing music that would accompany the pay-per-view, and I wanted you to get hyped up whenever you would hear the intro and you would get in the show, because like I said, I wanted my shows to feel like a rock concert. So having music was very important to me. So when he told when he told me uh, he was doing homecoming while I was uh, designing the posters for the big matches, I was like, "What song would fit this?" And then I kept hearing in my head, "S P I R I T," and I was like, "That's it, that's it. I'm gonna do a uh, happy song by Bring Me the Horizon because it has that such like a, a cheerleader kind of like you know uh, vibe to it." When the help me about this show, some guy got murdered. <laughs> right. Uh, and Homecoming was one of those shows to kind of reiterate, uh, Sharp's, uh, comments. This was very much us planting the fly in the ground and being like, hey, take notice. We're a new company. We're here to fucking kick the door in and we're not going to take any prisoners. We're going to make you remember us. Like, this is pretty much our coming out party and we we're going to take advantage of it. And I feel like for the most part, we succeeded so the actual matches itself, uh, the first one I did was the Battle Royale, where I was hoping that Tony the Milkman would win, but I wasn't sure. 
I believe it came. I believe the final came down to uh, him and praise. And I think praise end up winning that. No, Tony won because I'm seeing it right on my Instagram because I okay. took the screenshots. So yeah, Tony wins. He becomes the mid card champion, and that's where I'm just gonna. After that, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna reveal who murdered his brother on the next preview or one of the shows leading up to it. So that was the first match, the battle royal for the mid card title. Uh, after that, one of the things I definitely took notice of that I was like, I gotta improve on was the tag team division. My tag team division at this point fucking sucked. It was one of those things where I was like, yeah, all these matches are good. I pretty much have everyone slated where they need to be, but damn, I am not doing well with my tag teams. I gotta consult Dead and kind of have him. Yeah, we uh, had John Cena and John Cena versus Stitch Mort. Yeah, so the first tag match was uh, was uh, Abraxas and Ordog versus Craig Copeland and Mario Cologne, which on paper. Uh, I was like, well, these are the... I think I had a tournament to see who was going to be in the match, and they ended up winning. And I'm going to be honest, that match kind of put me to sleep after a bit. They didn't really do a whole lot of exciting things. So I'm like, all right, the tag team division needs to... We need to make that better. We need to come back harder, and we got to improve that. After that was probably the bloodiest match of all the time. You want to talk about a blood feud. That's fucking putting it lightly when it came to these two. Between George and Mortius. And the... Uh, hold on. Let me pull up what the actual match was called. Sorry. I, I had the Instagram thing uh, pulled up. Oh, here we go. Homecoming matches. So, yeah. So, it was Ninth Circle versus Craig Copeland and Mario for the tag team ties. So... This was a landmine death match between Mortis and George. Because I wanted to see who was the most sick and depraved person. Because that person is going to end up leading the deathmatch division. So it was between George and Mortis. There was just blood all over the arena. All over like the outside of the arena. And I was believe... Was it False Count Anywhere too? Yeah, it was False Count Anywhere. Because George did the kind of small package pin on the outside. Or uh, something like that. So he yeah, beat Mortius. Yeah, he he beat Mortius. And then uh after that it was Hollywood Hannah versus Carmela Noctum versus Babe Ruthless in a triple threat steel cage match. And I believe it was like one fall to the finish, because I believe what happened in the match was I, so. I believe Carmela Noctum, I believe I she either hit Queen of the Damned or she hit something else. Let me pull my Instagram thing to see what she actually hit. Oh, she... Okay, so she hit Eternal Slumber while either Hollywood Hannah or Babe Ruthless... Let's see. I think I'll tell me who... Yeah, Babe Ruthless was... She hit Eternal Slumber on Babe Ruthless while Hannah... Uh... Hollywood Hannah was stuck in between the ropes and the cage, pretty much. So she couldn't do anything. So it was Carmella pretty much taking advantage. Uh, she was the person that was most hated going in. So her winning, she would go on Twitter and be like, yeah, I know all y'all didn't want to see me win, but it doesn't matter because I won anyways. <laughs> and then after that, 
was the absolute fucking one-sided star-making performance between Mar and Zack, where Mar would end up being the first man to beat Zack in a death Texas death match, uh, nine to two, and he would go on to become the first ever top tier heavyweight champion. And at that point, it's like, all right, I gotta start acting more like a heel to kind of propel the storyline. So speaking of a slaughter, if anyone would like to know, and it may age like milk by the time it's going, the Buffalo Bills are up 21 to 7. Oh, God. Oh, hell yeah. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> oh, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we're about almost an hour and 30 in, and I feel like we Unless you guys want to add anything that we didn't cover, I feel like after that, this will probably be a good way to wrap up the podcast for this episode, unless anyone wants to add anything. I'll say for um, branding, Monday Night Massacre, we did do some, um, we kind of had some more unique names for our titles that tied in with our branding. Um, The Masquerade Championship, going to that regal fight club vibe of, you know, our deathmatch wrestling, they're just masquerade balls, and they're these really chaotic and elegant destruction symphonies. And then we had the Duchess Championship, again playing into the regality of what we won Monday Night Massacre to be. Um, the Asian Heritage Division, which is not racist, I don't care what anyone says, we were showcasing, we were representing, showcasing, and offering opportunities. What was meant to be racist about that to begin with? What? I swear I got called racist five times from you specifically, Dad. <laughs> oh, no, that was, that was the mean thing. That was yeah. when I was pretending to be Vince. Yeah, we were just memeing at that point. <laughs> I know, but I want I want to defeat the memes oh, here. Yeah, yeah I, I, I said like someone actually called it. Everything's correct. Stop the ribbing. I have a clear <laughs> conscience about the clarity <laughs> of my actions. Okay, don't cancel me. So uh, we did that. That I mean, the Asian Heritage Division slapped. We had again the our mid card belt was called the Crown Jewel Championship. I mean. We loved our regality and our vibes there. And then, of course, we had the Massacre Heavyweight, the Massacre Tag, the Massacre Women's of your standard belts. But however we could put um, a Massacre spin on something, we did. And that definitely helped our branding. And I, I don't know, I think they were pretty cool. So, yeah, I think now I'm done. All right. Anyone else want to add anything before we wrap this up? I'm good. All right. Well, this was a fantastic uh, first episode of the GRFC podcast. Uh, I'm not sure what our schedule is going to be. I want to at least try to get this up or uh, do this. I want to do this like either once a week or we can do like once every other week, depending on what we feel like scheduling wise and all that stuff. I'm pretty much working uh, 10 to 5. Uh, Monday to Friday is at my new job right now, but I'm pretty much open weekends whenever. And uh, yeah, so next episode, we're probably going to talk about lockdown and whatever else we can come up with before then. So that super show was that. Let me see.
It was lockdown and then do do do. That was the official start of the Honda Kamara Memorial Tournament, which we'll talk about the Crown Jewel Tournament. And then it was my if I can find it. If I can find it. Lockdown, there's lockdown. Um it does not appear that we had a super show. I think we were doing more sporadic super shows back then than once a month. We had a real pay-per-view card for lockdown. Gee was what a miracle. <laughs> Insane. We had titles on the line at lockdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah what a never, miracle. Never would have expected it. Ever. <laughs> and two weeks later... Pay-per-view we titles. What do you know? And two weeks later, we did Lost in Japan as our second Super Show. Yes. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, anything you guys want to plug? Yeah, this product is awful. Well, I'm plug watch something else. Twitch.tv forward slash GRFC streams. I'm on YouTube, I think. Probably, I would imagine. Anything? I took the handle, so. Right. Well, anything you want to plug sharp of your own, if you have anything? I literally don't. Okay, well. Um, my Tumblr? No. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, no. People uh, still use that? Yes. Alright, well, I, I know you have a Twitch to promote, Mar, so I'll let you do that. Oh, oh, me? Yay! Oh, yeah. Uh, make sure you check out my Twitch channel, uh, Mar River. So, uh, yeah. I'm All right, Peacock's to... going to add them post. Hey, shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, for me, I'll just say, uh, whenever I start streaming again, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash ZachTheVampire. That's Z-A-C-K. Uh, anything else you could find me at, you can find me at with ZachAttack2995. And uh, we will catch you all next time where we talk about lockdown and whatever else we have to talk about. So until then, rock out, scream, cuckoo, choo, bye bye.